Today on Sagittarian Matters, we talk about Sagittarian Matters in honor of our 101st episode with my guests, producer Ponyo and producer Chris Sutton. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Portland, Oregon. Specifically, hello from a car parked on the side of Lombard Street. This week, we celebrate our 101st episode by having producer Chris Sutton step from behind the mic, behind the shadows, into the daylight to talk with me and producer Ponyo about the podcast. Um, what's going on with us, our favorite episodes, a little advice, unsung heroes, the time Ponyo unleashed on a child, and more. Chris Sutton is the producer of this very podcast. He has played in the band's Gossip, The Dirt Bombs, Chain in the Gang, Hornet Leg, The Hooded Hags, Spider in the Webs, and more. He currently has a radio show on X-Ray FM, and he creates Sagittarian Matters every single week out of the goodness of his heart. Please enjoy my talk with producer of this podcast, Chris Sutton. Producer Chris Sutton, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you so much for having me. This has actually been a dream of mine to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's no problem. And you're here with producer Ponyo, who is sleeping. I'm petting Ponyo right now. Sleeping per usual. Ponyo is producing me, producing love from me. I need to ask you, as producer of the podcast, do you ever feel resentful of your co-producer for how little work she does, but how much credit she receives? I feel, I see myself as like a cameraman or as a facilitator for the magic that's happening. Like Ponyo, um, Ponyo is the icon, the totem of what we do here at Sagittarian Matters. I feel like you're like the quarterback, like you're uh, the voice, the force behind it. I just want to facilitate the magic. So there really is no, there's no competition at all. Um, I feel like anytime I'm mentioned in the same breath as Ponyo or just giving Ponyo a platform is just enough to me. Yeah. That's nice. There's no P in team, I'm just going to say. But but there's a Y in you. Yeah. Uh, And she would think of you as her pack mate. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're together. We have dreams together. Like, she runs in my pack. So, um, yeah, Ponyo's connected. And you probably didn't know this, but I'm actually producing through Ponyo. Like, Ponyo's making decisions. Ponyo's actually looking over the podcast when you're having these conversations yeah ponyo is channeling those to me and i know exactly what's happening like when you got when you're doing an interview like i get a little vibration like in my cerebellum yeah uh and then i just kind of tell ponyo to influence certain things and so far it's worked out Will you describe for listeners how our process goes i kind of talked about it with michelle t last week but from your perspective, can you tell everyone, like, how easy or hard is it? Or what is our weekly process like? How have we made it to 100 episodes of this podcast? So during the week, like, I got 
a family. I have a child. I have a partner. I have a couple of dogs. I do my band. I have a full-time job uh, amongst these other little projects that I Plus a radio show. Plus a radio show every Saturday on X-Ray. But... And then I have two sort of days off, but I work on those days. Uh, Sunday and Monday, I work. But those are kind of my days off with my family because I spend my time with them in the evening. Like we watch movies and hang out. And then Wednesday and Thursday, those are the nights where I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on the podcast. I'm going to put stuff together. You usually send me a file before then, you, or maybe you're sending me that file on Thursday. And so what I do is I come home, hang out with my fam, everybody kind of goes to sleep, and then that's when my time is. And it's, it's zen. Like me going again and putting stuff together, it's like Jenga, it's like a puzzle. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually it's soothing. And, so, and then I'm sitting there listening to everything and just listening to how conversations put together. It's just, uh, it's actually therapeutic for me to do. So it's actually no problem. It's, it's a necessity at this point. Oh my God, I love it. Well, it's, I don't know, I, start, I wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I saw a list I made on Facebook in 2009 that was like, I've always wanted to have a talk show called Sagittarian Matters. And then I did it, and then you were the missing puzzle piece. How was I to know? How are we to know when we met each other that this was the thing? But it was like, and this is kind of what you said, I, I just, I mean, I'm not like, I'm living an extraordinary life, but I'm around a lot of artists. And I felt like all these conversations were happening behind closed doors between artists, right. artist to artist, like whether it was like musicians staying at my house while they were on tour right. or cartoonists I was getting more and more access to, like right. Art Spiegelman or Alison Bechdel, totally. where I just was having these conversations where the teacher in me was like, oh my God, I would love to share this conversation with my student. It's not that private. There's no reason they shouldn't have this. The only difference is access. And so I wanted to give people access to these artists, conversations and scenarios that I was finding myself in. And then and that's what we've been doing. Right. I mean, these people, are they've proven to be wellsprings of information and inspiration as well. So um, that was just something that I want to listen to. Basically, I just like I've done in music, like make records and music that I'm not hearing anywhere else. This podcast is the same thing, like creating like a venue uh, that was consistently had interesting people on it, but it was also something that I wanted to listen to. Wait, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, Producer Chris. So I, I was kind of writing down the core values of the podcast. I'm curious to know what you think the core values of the podcast are. I think that themes that come up are, that people, the artists create art because it's their way of emotionally processing the world. That would be a Beth Pickens joint. Um, and when we value art over capitalist kind of measures of success in art, so just making art for art's sake. Um, it's a queer pod, queer art, feminist art, intersectionality, mm-hmm. and right. boundaries. I feel <laughs> is another theme of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other themes that you can think of that we talk about on the podcast? I think you touched on a lot of those. I would say like the overarching thing is uh, like feminist art. Uh, But there's just so many cool things that you put in there as well. You know, like everybody, I don't know, you just have a lot of positivity. I, I would say that like just punk positivity is the main string that you can pull all the way through it. You know, like a lot of these artists probably wouldn't call themselves punk, uh, but they kind of are because to me, punk is like doing it no matter what. I mean, you're like, you don't have any money. You're not, you're eating ramen every day. Like you might not even live in an actual place, 
but they're doing it. And the one, the common thing with comic book artists, in order to do that, you have to be that, you yeah. know, like you have to be hooked, which comes to brings to mind a question that I have, like, like, what are you working on a book right now? Kind of. I'm kind of working on several things at the same time. How is that? It, it, it makes me feel like I'm unemployed and like I've never, it makes me feel like a layabout. Right. To not have a book contract right now makes right. me feel like a scrub, even though I'm literally posting like unpublished or new things on Instagram and Patreon every week. Right. Because I'm not, because I'm not under a contract for a book, I feel like a lazy, like I've never done anything in my whole life, <laughs> which is really weird because somebody just asked me at a Q&A if I ever sleep ah. based on the number of things that I do. Because <laughs> we had, when we shared our art studio together, you were making fetch. Yeah. And uh, you had, uh, you know, you had the thermometer going and stuff like that. Will you describe the thermometer for people? Well, she had this amazing thermometer and it, wish, it made me wish I had this huge like two-year project to kind of put onto a thermometer. But you had this big drawing. Um, it was kind of like a poster. And you had all these goals on it or like like milestones you mm-hmm. were trying to create. And every once in a while, every time I'd come in every couple of weeks, you kind of move up like a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really amazing. And I was thinking about like when, like even like a, I've never worked on something for two years straight. Um, I've had something take two years to make, mm-hmm. but I wasn't doing it every day, you know? Um, and I was, you know, there's always this part of me that was like, there's jealous and relief, like, <laughs> because like, I like goals. I like being able to finish things, you know? So if you, if you set this thing up for yourself, you're like, oh, okay, I got this book deal. I have to make this thing by this time. And I remember you working so hard on it, and it was so singular. Yeah. Uh, and then I've been always wanting to ask you how are things different since you did that. You know, it was like diamond focus on this book. Now, are do you feel loosened up? Do you want to go back to that? Do you, are you burned out? Is it like uh, like deliverance where you're like, uh, I don't need to do that again? It you oh, there's always like a weird postpartum depression when you finish a book. Because you're a little bit like, what am I doing? Like, because your time is then open and you have carved all this time for this one thing and then you're done. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly, I have like the the makings of a proposal, like a lot written for a book called My Straight Year from Venus to Mars and Back Again. Mm-hmm. I don't want, there's nothing in me that wants to sit down and draw my fucking self again for 300 pages i don't want to draw my i don't draw myself having sex with men i don't want to draw i don't want to draw the men in my life from my straight ear and then hurt their feelings i'm just like i'm like can i draw it as animals can i just make it a tv show because i'm in hollywood yeah i don't know how to write a tv show but i'm like could this just be a tv show please just so i don't have to draw it right like i want the story to exist Nobody wants to see a written novel for me because they're going to be like, why isn't it drawn? And I'll be like, great question. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I'm working on this book with Judith Butler and Ken Corbett where we go right. around the country interviewing queer kids. Right. And then I have my pet project, which is a kid's book called Sloth Moss. Mm. And so I would like to get in deep with like the Ken and Judith gender project mm. or Sloth Moss. Like 
a full color illustrated, more loose book. Mm -hmm. But the idea of drawing myself walking through the world, interacting with people and then exposing their lives again, seems like a lot. It sounds fun to talk about gender and to talk about, I mean, just to talk about like the idea of being queer and what it means to like masculine people, but then how it feels to be straight for a minute and feel erased. And do you retain your queerness? I think all this stuff is interesting, but the drawing of it, if there was like a clone Nicole that I could make do things, I would be like, mm-hmm. start drawing that. Right. But this Nicole, I'm like, please don't make me do right. it. Do you put any pressure on yourself? Like you mentioned your straight year. Is there, is there any pressure involved with that where you're like, I don't want to go back to that? Or do you worry about having another straight year? <laughs> is that like, I mean, is that something you think about? I feel like, you know, with age, I mean, we're, we're so idealistic when we're yeah. younger. I feel with age, like, you know, who cares? But, like, I wonder, because, you know, that's your community, do you feel pressure to kind of stay queer? Or is that, or you just kind of open, that might happen again? I don't think, I mean, who never say you never. never you never, you know. never say never. But, I mean, I still think if I was in a relationship with a cisgendered man, I would still be a queer person. Of course, yes. You know, I was talking to one of our friends who's, was formerly a lesbian and now she's married to a cisgendered straight man and she was like you know i am still queer i don't claim it from mountaintops because i am like soaking up like straight privilege by being married Mm -hmm. and so like i don't feel like taking up that space Mm -hmm. but she's like i am still queer and i think that i would be too i mean it was there's just a whole thing that happens i think to queer women when they get involved with cisgendered straight guys where they are like can people still tell i'm queer like can I right. st- also when none of my gay friends gave a shit, I thought it was going right. to be some big, you know, bomb. I went to Michelle T's wedding and I was like making a joke that I was going to like, you know, steal the show during toasts and be like, hey, everybody. So glad you could make it. I have something pretty shocking to tell. Congrats, Michelle and Dashiell. Right. But I just want everybody to know right. I'm straight now. So, you know, just I imagine right. everyone dropping their glasses. But I went there and nobody. Cared. I mean, it's a song as old as time. Yeah. People jump and ship. Or trying, or being in their early 30s and then their biological clock is like, hey, hey, right. look at that guy. Right. Look at that. For like sure. your your body is just saying like, give me some of that. Because right. <laughs> it's trying to, it's last ditch effort to get pregnant before you're dried up. Sure. Or well, it gets harder or more expensive. Well, it's kind of priorities, you know, too. I mean, we're all looking for understanding and that could come from anywhere, you know. Yeah. I mean, it comes from Ponyo all the time. How do you think Ponyo's like in L.A.? I think that Ponyo thinks it's cool because she gets to go on hikes all the time. Yeah. And here in Portland, she didn't get to go on as many walks. I mean, in Portland, for it's both. In Portland, she has yards. Mm-hmm. So when she's in Portland, you know, like in our house here, she had a big yard she could run around in. Right. But she didn't have dedicated exercise time. Sure. As much. And in L.A., our yard sucks. It's a non-yard. But she gets to go on crazy hikes all the time. What's L.A. giving you on a daily basis that's uh, charging you down there? L.A. is giving me business opportunities. So, you know, like in L.A., I'm oh, like, yes. oh, money, I have money is down there. I feel I feel money is afoot. Yeah. Like I just I'm like, oh, I could write this as a TV show. Right. That's something that could happen. Sure. You know, I could I could drive for 45 minutes and have a meeting in Beverly Hills, right. which is right. not happening here. Right. Which is, I mean, I could, I could still live here and then like take a plane there. It takes mm-hmm. five minutes. Anyway, the things that charge me up there, there the a... sun is cool. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. It is too cool. Totally. Like 
being there in the wintertime and being like, should I wear socks today? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Should I wear shorts? Yeah. I'm wearing them around the house because I'm so, yeah, like it, it was 60 degrees and I was like putting a draft catcher under the door. I was like, it's so cold. Right. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Yeah, yeah. And now here it's like 30 degrees and I, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, the sun is cool. Yeah. My friends who live there are some of my funniest, smartest friends, different than my longtime homies here, like sure. my family here. Right. But they're some of my smartest, funniest friends who I've never lived in the same town as. So I'm kind of appreciating that. Yeah. So like a Beth Pickens or a Michelle T, mm-hmm. like or like Rocco, like right. seeing those people and just like laughing in the sun is or going for a hike. Yeah. Is really fun and different. A common thing with people that I know that have lived down there is that they wake up earlier. Do you find that to be true? No, not for me. You're you're waking up. When do you wake up every day? Can you say nine? Nine o'clock. That's early. Eight thirty or nine? Early. That's punk early. <laughs> that's you punk know? early. Especially when you don't have like a job to go to. That's pretty good if you're yeah. waking up at nine. Yeah. But I, I, I think I, most people that are like or most artists would be like, uh I can't make anything before noon. Well, I can only work until ten or eleven, so it doesn't make sense for me to stay up nine. that far past that. Right. What's what about ten or eleven? Is that just is that when you feel asleep? When you feel sleepy? No, that's like I have the will but not the way. After like about ten thirty or eleven, even if I'm like I can keep going, I will mess things up. Right, right. You're like, pushing it. My body just doesn't work as well, and so I'll make bad decisions. It's like being drunk, being tired to me. So it's like I'll just make bad decisions and make mistakes of my art. So I just have to like work until a certain time and then leave it. How is the uh, queer community in LA versus Portland? And I asked this because the last time we had a one on one, um. You know, we were talking about Transparent, mm-hmm. you know, and some of the people that you knew on that show. Uh, and, you know, you did kind of a series of interviews with certain people that are affiliated with the show. And a, a thought that I had a lot was just how that show could possibly be changing the, um, just the, you know, the opportunities down there. Do you think that show in particular could be a springboard. Are there more like kind of queer TV shows or movies or things like that kind of boiling up? Um, like versus, you know, because here in Portland, I mean, it's such a strong community. I mean, people are coming here and they just, they lock up. Uh, not lock up bad, but lock up as in solidarity. And I just wonder if you're getting that same sort of thing in L.A. I mean, the thing is in L.A., a lot of my friends are people that I already know from Sister Spit and that kind of world. Right. So that's the queer community that I'm embedded in for the most part. I think that the difference between Portland and L.A. is L.A., there's more ambition. Here, it's like you are making art for art's sake. Right. And if something comes of that, cool. And people who are ambitious here, people are kind of like, oh. Like they'll kind of look askance at them and use it almost as a diss to call someone ambitious. Like I've just heard that with people that are in bands or whatever. They're like, that person would throw their own mother in a fire to get to something they wanted. Whereas in L.A., that's the necessary thing for you to get done the things you need to get done because you need to get other people involved in them generally and you need money from people. And so you need to have drive. And that's exciting to be around. Right. You know, whether or not I engage in it, it's exciting to be around. It's just like a creative energy that I'm like, ooh. And I think it could get old at some point. And yeah. it's very relaxing for me to come back to Portland every other month sure. and be like, whew, here's reality. Right. But maybe that's kind of the thing. It's relaxing up here. So maybe you're not getting that, but the proper motivation, you know? Well, I've always been an overachiever here. Yeah. I mean, exactly. for better or for worse. But 
overachieving in this way where like I have like these five projects I'm setting up this karaoke thing I'm making these portraits for my friend I'm making a comic book uh, I go to this dance party you know none of that is really accumulating to any sort of like I don't I don't want to use the word wealth as in money or a house but wealth as in like oh okay I'm not starving well I mean truly I've lived here and like had moments where like I couldn't eat I couldn't eat I had to eat soft room temperature foods for right. a whole year yeah. because my teeth were broken and I couldn't afford to fix them and right. I like lost a bunch of weight people were like oh why did you lose so much weight and I was like like I think one of our friends who is into like size positivity was like I don't trust you right. because you lost all this weight right. and I was like I'm too poor to eat food right. without being in pain right. um uh, but the thing here is that then at the end of the day, I feel like by doing all those weird little things like a karaoke night or whatever, yeah. you build community yes. and that serves your art, whether or not, I mean, cause those people, you never know where those people mm-hmm. will go to. Like right. I have former students that now work for newspapers right. or, you know, like in fetch when Beja was dying of cancer and I needed something, the community was right there because right. they do see you, even though it doesn't feel like it. When your friends don't come to your show or you, like, don't have people supporting you for everything you do when you do a lot of stuff, right. it feels like nothing. Yep. But then if you really need something, I think that those people come out of the woodwork and it's pretty cool. Right. Uh, like it, like the fetch reading. Remember, it became like a beige testimonial yes. of different no, people beautiful. in the crowd of Powell's that was great. talking about beige. Yeah. I, I thought that was great. And I really... The one thing, and I added it at the end of that, was just like, hey, let's tell some good stories. And that's when the tears kind of came out and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was really great. For me personally, uh, I do feel that thing in the Northwest. I'm from Olympia. I have grew up in Portland. It's kind of a similar thing where people are not allergic to money, uh, but they're, I don't know. Is it like that Smith songs, we hate it when our friends become successful? I don't know if it's like that. But the older I get, and now that I have a child, there is a little bit of that like, oh, well, maybe I should do something that is a little more, has more earning power to it or something. Because now I'm taking care of this other being. I'm building this family. We have to move out of the small apartment at some point. So there is that pressure to do that. But at the same not, because it's Portland, I feel like my friends in New York, one thing I'm jealous of, of, of people from the East Coast is that it's really business oriented, mm-hmm. their lives. And in order for them to make art, like part of the making art is to get the revenue to have a practice space or a studio or whatever. And here, like people relish making art in spare or Spartan situations like I'm making a, I'm making it on a kitchen table or like we're playing in a band, but it's on like these little tiny wooden instruments. Now we're going to make this thing. The older I get, people are just like, well, man, you do all these things. Like, when are you going to get a real blah, blah, blah? And the you know, when you get older, you get into these places in your mind. What does that mean? Like, what is the real thing? I've always thought in my life, like, what... I'm interested in so many things. What would I do if I took all of this talent and focus that I have and put it into one thing? But then there's a fear involved with that, too. Because what if it's the wrong thing? And that's the stasis you're put in. I feel like 
I've gotten so much from living in the Northwest. Like all of like be whatever you want to be, be a punk, dress how you want to dress. You know, everything is cool. But at the same time, you know, people that I know that are really like moving forward or when you read about special people or artists, like all of my idols, they only did one thing. Mm-hmm. So I just think about that a lot. And I'm not, I don't feel old. I don't feel like I'm getting old, but now I, you're kind of old, but I never remember how old you are. Right. I'm 42, oh, that's not that old. which is not that old. I always feel like you're deceptively old, but that's not that old. Right. I was well, like, it's Chris like 50. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, it's just my stoicness and my, uh, you know, my verbal skills. But I it's because you've been around forever. That's why I think right. that you're older than you are because I'm like, wait, what band was he in? That band's from a long ass time yes. ago. Yes. Yeah, I've been doing stuff for a long time. Like but you played with Beat Happening? Well, I wasn't in Beat Happening. I was in a band with Calvin Johnson. Yeah. Uh, but that was after. Dub Narcotic. Yeah, Dub Narcotic. But Dub Narcotic, I was buying Dub Narcotic records when I lived in Kansas as a teenager. From the 90s. Yes. From the 90s. And yes. so that's why it makes it seem like you were like geriatric. But oh, that wasn't that long ago. But then I think about people like Kaya. And I was influenced by Kaya. Like, I was like the same age. <laughs> I was going to shows being like, oh. And then, like, you get older and you realize that everybody's, you know, kind of on the same level. But, I mean, I've just been doing it since I was, like, a teenager. And, like, we've been in the same circles. Even if we didn't know each other, we were kind of in the same circles. Like, I'm sure I played through your town. We might have even (laughs) seen each other at some weird event in Kansas or something. Did you go with Dub Narcotic when they were on tour with Miranda July? Yes. In Lawrence, Kansas? Yes. I was there. Yeah. I was and there too. And Taiwan Yu yeah, took my Taiwan Yu took my photo. I had red hair. I had like a red bowl cut and I had oh X's on my hands. I'll have to oh show you. Oh my God. I want to see that. That was what, 1997? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was a great tour. And it was so cool to see what happened to Miranda after that. Who would have known that podcast producer Chris was playing on stage? <laughs> With me and the audience as a 16-year-old, producer Ponyo wasn't even a dream. Her parents weren't even born yet. <laughs> right. Her parents' parents probably weren't <laughs> even born yet. <laughs> but, you know, doing stuff like this keeps me young. I mean, like this, like doing a stuff, doing stuff like a, and that's the other thing about having, having Vivian. Vivian's the name of my daughter. Like she's, she's not making me feel old yet. Like she's actually like, in, like injecting me with inspiration like i'm actually excited about like things that are coming up like new experiences that i'm having and having her be a part of that i mean it actually makes me a little jealous because i had to discover punk and all my every all of my beliefs i had to discover on my own because my family didn't have any of those i mean does everyone tell you like she's definitely gonna be such a square and she's going to love princesses. And she's going to just listen to, like, Blues Traveler. <laughs> <laughs> Blues Traveler. Imagine. Imagine. Like, <laughs> well, I, at the very least, I hope it's like a boy band or something like that. I mean, we are, me and Karen, my partner, we're, like, we're sort of waiting for that time where she's going to be like, what's all this dumb music you listen to? I'm listening to this other cool stuff. Uh, but she's already banging on like pots and pans. Like we were playing shows, Karen and I, when uh, she was pregnant with Vivian. 
the sounds are just coming through her. I mean, she's going to be a little weirdo, just like this. This is the only way. She's already a punk. Oh, yeah. She's a real punk baby. I I encourage people to troll you on Instagram. (laughs) If you go and look at Hell Books on Instagram, you're going to see some cute baby pictures. She's going to melt your heart, whether or not you are barren or not. Okay, Chris, back to the Sagittarian. The matters of Sagittarian matters. What are some unsung episodes? Are there any episodes you feel like should have gotten more attention than they did or that you would recommend to people? Uh, I would recommend this episode was really interesting and we actually got feedback about it. Somebody had listened to this episode and had used some of the information in it to get a job. Um, Tara Perkins who is uh, not only a friend of ours, uh, but the manager of Beth Ditto, friend of the podcast and friend of ours personally. Um, Tara is a really amazing businesswoman. And just even knowing other businesswomen in my life, like the way she thinks, like having her as an advocate. I mean, you know, I always think about managers as really amazing and and a necessity in life because what managers do, especially for artists, is that you have to care about artists so much and you have to love to travel, but you also have to be okay with helping p- other people make art. And being an artist myself, I'm just like, there's no way I could go on tour with somebody and after like 10 days be like, I got to make my own thing. I have to play something or I have to do something. I can't just do that but to have somebody that cares about art so much and wants to advocate for people queer people and specifically uh women even more specifically than that sex workers oh oh and sex workers oh my god like to have a voice for oh man the sex workers art show can we just give just a shout out to the sex workers art show like an entity i mean what other entity is going to support this group of people. I mean, they're so demonized by people that don't understand, like people who are religious or people who have hang-ups about sexuality. Classist and, or and, sexist. And who doesn't have hang-ups about sexuality? And to have, and to realize that people that are in that community are artists too, like they can write, they can perform in different ways besides just being a sex worker. Uh, I just think that's amazing. Or hearing them reflect on being a sex worker and just, you know... Right. Like actually getting to hear people's reflections in real time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to the punk thing, to have, to expose a facet of society that nobody really wants to look at. I mean, that's why the queer scene is so important. That's why black punks are so important. I mean, it's these people that are doing something that is essentially against the grain. And nobody's really, like, telling that story. And uh, Tara, in particular, that episode, like, I feel like people... It's unfortunate that because she's not famous in her own right, people won't, like, just, you know, they'll look at the cadre of eight 100 episodes that we have and not pick that one first. Uh, But to have somebody who is an advocate, who cares about 
facets of society and wants to make them successful and push them into the corporate world and not be afraid of it. Like she in her life has gotten backlash from friends of ours, like for that attitude we were talking about, the Portland attitude we were talking about, like being successful, actually wanting to be money, having enough money to buy a house, have working for somebody who's famous enough to be on TV, like and supporting that and pushing that forward and not bringing it down. Like that's really super important. And it's a really hard thing to do because there is the thing about punk is there's you're not supposed to make a lot of money it's not supposed to be about fame or fortune but you know in a way it is yeah tara perkins is the person do you know what episode number that is oh it's really super early tara perkins is the person who kind of instilled to me that getting paid for art is a class issue Yes. You know, and that nobody deserves art. Like you don't, you don't try to haggle the plumber when the plumber comes to your house. You don't go to the dentist trying to get a deal. So there's no reason why you should go to an independent artist. You know, like you're driving a car that you paid full price for the gas and you're smoking a cigarette that you paid full price for. And then you go to an independent artist and try to get a deal is so crazy that it's she's a person that kind of you know challenged me or you know showed me the idea of like challenging where people's priorities are and challenging the idea you know like art is a luxury good it's it's critical it's necessary but like you know people don't people aren't entitled to be entertained and so it is appropriate for people to pay we live in a capitalist society for people to put money into the things that they find importance in Right. Um, so that's something that came up in her episode. Episode 16. There's this idea that it's so fun to make the work and it's so fun to get to travel. It, it's like this like hobby that you do and they shouldn't have to pay you for it. You know, especially with touring. It's like people don't understand how expensive it is and don't understand how much of your life you give up to go do that stuff and how much time it takes to make artwork or make music and, and there's and so people just expect to be able to pay a couple dollars to go see a band play or to see somebody read and it's just like that's not that's not an appropriate way to treat art in our lives it's that's not relative to the amount of space that art and visuals and entertainment take up in our lives a couple of dollars you know it's like it's do you know what i mean yeah like people deserve to get paid for their work, even if they enjoy their work. Yeah. Or and, and you don't, deser- you don't deserve art. Enjoy their work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like you don't like nobody deserves art. Nobody deserves to have someone entertain them. For yeah, for free. For free. And it it is work, and there is a skill set around it. If you don't think there's a skill set around art, God, just go to it. You know, go to <laughs> go to an open mic. Go to a free open mic at a coffee shop if you think there's no skill involved in music or art or writing. It's like there's a reason that people aren't going there. And you talked about that a bit in uh, the Ian Mackay one. Oh, yeah. So Ian Mackay. So Tara Perkins I interviewed uh, from Virginia on the couch where I was doing a residency. Ian Mackay I interviewed from my friend Steve's couch. I was using his internet. I didn't even have strong enough internet at the time. One of my unsung episodes is also a sex worker, Lorelai Lee. She is a porn star, and she gave beautiful advice about writing. I think that she gave some great advice about sex and love, and she talked a lot about this thing that was up in the air where California was trying to um, – some buttholes in California were trying to pass a thing that would make 
condoms required for all porn in California, which in turn would make the industry go more underground or leave California or go to places where the regulations weren't there. Anyway, listen to the Laurel Lee episode. It's one of my favorites, especially if you're a writer, especially if you're an artist looking for advice. Wait, I have a question for you from me to you. Are you good at negotiating? Yes. Do you have tips? Because somebody just told me they were like, take a straight guy out to pizza and ask him how he negotiates. But I want to. Yeah, I've heard a lot of this idea. But here's the thing. Not all straight guys are good at negotiating. People think like, oh, yeah, straight white guys, they have so much entitlement. They must be really good at asking for things for themselves. That's not always true. And so you have to pick the right person (laughs) if you're going to go that route. But um, my advice is two things. One is to decide how much you want to do the thing that you're asking to be paid for. I mean, usually when we're talking negotiating, we're talking about being paid for something. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other forms of negotiation too, of course, Um, like setting boundaries and relationships and that kind of thing, which I think is a different uh, pile of advice. But when you're asking for money, it's like really important for you to know how much your work is worth to you. Like, if you are broke and you're like, I don't know, I would do this for 75 bucks, but I'd really like 500. You need to know that in your mind so that when you are doing the negotiating, like, you know what your bottom price is, you know, that you're going to be totally comfortable just getting 75 bucks for it. Right. Or if you are like, well, I guess I would, you know, I know they're going to want me to do this for $75, but I really will feel shitty at the end of the day. If I take $75 for this, you got to know that also. So going into it, like you don't want to end up at the end in a situation where you feel bad. And that is the thing that has like improved my negotiating so much mm-hmm. is just knowing, no, it's okay to just say no, if they're going to lowball me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I have is to, if you are asking for a number that feels really comfortable to you, you're not asking for enough. Because if they, uh, like, you know, the value of your work, you know, what you can get paid for your work. And probably there's a number you've been paid before. And you're like, okay, this is probably what they'll pay me. That's not enough. You know, they are going to, that's what they want you to do because then they're also going to try to undercut that number. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So go in there asking for a number that makes you feel a little sick to your stomach. (laughs) And that should be your starting point. I like Tara yeah. Perkins told me she was like, as, as much as you can ask for with a straight face. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, knowing how to have a straight face about it too. Like just how to be cold as nails. Just go in there and be ruthless. Be like, don't be nice. You know, they can be your friend that you're negotiating with and you can be friends afterward and you can totally smile when the deal is done. <laughs> But, and, and part of not being nice is not equivocating. Like, don't explain why you're asking for that number unless they ask. Mm -hmm. And if they ask, it's good to have two or three brief points about why you're totally worth that much. Right. But not a paragraph. Mm -hmm. You don't, if you are worth that much, you don't need to explain. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a similar advice to like when you make a boundary when you explain the boundary, you're starting to make it weaker. Yeah. Like you're putting yeah. holes in it. Yeah. And I think when you talk about boundary setting, there is a, there is a similar thing there, which is that 
especially if you're setting boundaries with someone for the first time, oftentimes setting them stricter than you're actually comfortable with is a good idea, uh, you know, for a similar reason, because that person might try to push on your boundaries and you don't want them to push you to a point where you feel shitty at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. This is very valuable advice. Another one I really liked was Our Lady J, who is a writer from Transparent. Now she's working on the show, the new Ryan Murphy show, Pose. Um, Our Lady J, I thought, just had a lot of serenity and a lot of wisdom. Um, I just really, I really liked my conversation with Our Lady J. Not to mention, she has a purple apartment. She made me a purple smoothie. It was such a gift. Um, I have started crying or almost started crying in a couple. Which mm. ones? Phoebe Gleckner. I almost started crying. Oh. Alison Bechdel, possibly. Very possible I almost started crying. Most a couple heavy ones. I can't think of them. I can't remember who else. I mean, I feel like when we just talked to Joey Allison Sayer, she talked about some pretty heavy shit depression-wise. I didn't almost cry then because it wasn't about me. <laughs> But I feel like like with Ariel Schrager, Phoebe Gleckner, Alison Bechdel, people that are autobiographical cartoonists, I think it, it cuts kind of deep. You know, one, uh, as we're talking, I think I remember my absolute favorite episode, Caitlin Dowdy. I listened to it actually a couple of times because I got so many things about it. I mean, we, on the podcast, we talk about positivity a lot, or you have a lot, of, you know, have a lot of positive conversations with artists. And it's all about life. It's all about moving forward or fighting the fight or, you know, really putting positivity into your work and living that way. But with Caitlin, when you have an episode or a subject that deals with death, that is something that none of us, that's the one thing that none of us are thinking about or trying to think about on a daily basis. And to have somebody whose job it is to be like that and have that positivity within that job of dealing with death, uh, you know, introducing death idea to people who might not be thinking about that. Thinking about my own mortality, it isn't necessarily my favorite thing to do in life or probably anybody's, but to hear somebody on a punk level talk about death and apply punk politics and methods to that area like how many people are thinking about a punk way to have a funeral or to die um like out of any of our friends you're not thinking about that until it happens until it happens to somebody we know and then it is such a taboo subject it's been taken completely out of the hands of the people yeah just like if they they are like death midwives. Right. It is like midwifery, you know, was taken out of yes. the hands of these women, put into the hands of these doctors. Yes. It's like, you don't know what to do with your bodies. Let us do it. It's exactly the right. same. And people just take for granted the price of it. Mm-hmm. I think hospitals are the same way. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to the hospital. I don't care how much this costs. It's going to cost thousands of dollars. That's just the way it is. When people die and they go to a funeral home, it's like, this is going to cost thousands of dollars. My loved one is dead. I just have to deal with it. And here's my bag of money. Here, take it. Bury my friend or whoever. Um, because I don't want to deal with it. Right. But dealing with it could be healing with it. Right. And I just never heard that before personally or even on a show or a subject in a book or anything. I'm sure those exist. Um, but that was really special to me because it wasn't about 
how to make comic books or a famous comic book artist or a musician or somebody who's preaching to my choir. It was just like somebody that is coming with like with a personality of the people in my community and my friends, but they're dealing with this thing that nobody is thinking about. Um, so I got a lot from that episode. Ponyo's greatest hits. Ponyo's greatest hit to me, which might be an agreement, was when I interviewed John Porcelino, yes, and which was just from over the summer. And Ponyo, it was in a park in Ohio, and Ponyo ran after a child and almost got kicked by the dad. And then John P. did an impression of Ponyo. And I sat and read this book because I was, I mean, I was in my mid-20s, and all of a sudden I was like, uh-oh. had these, uh-oh, uh-oh. hold on. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, what happened was Ponyo just went after some little whippersnappers and barked at them, and the man was, like, flailing his leg in space at him and smiling, but I think he was kind of really mad. And he was saying, if your dog barks at my kid like that, I'm going to kick at it. And he was, like, kicking in the air, like, in a circle, like, <laughs> kind of like some kind of martial art, right? Can I just, I mean... I do feel like I always take the dog's side in any dog versus child situation. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> but I feel like if I was him, I would have picked up my baby that was screaming. Instead of, <laughs> instead of dragging her screaming behind me as I approached the dog to kick it. I'm going to go give him Ponyo's business out. card. <laughs> Every month he can, he can, maybe he wants to join Ponyo's friendship club card. Sure. <laughs> You'll get little pictures of Ponyo every month and remember, look back fondly on his experience in the park. <laughs> I feel like I just had an aneurysm. Oh my God. Well, that was intense for everybody. Almost, what? Where he almost kicked in the head one of the world's smallest dogs. <laughs> This happened. The dog is wearing a cape. And a, a pretty... That was it. I think it was the cape. That It's like a dog coming at you is one thing. Yeah. A dog coming at you wearing some kind of costume. That suggests superpowers. True. It suggests superpowers, so you have no idea what kind of, what kind of force this dog is coming with. Producer Ponyo just threw off her headphones, left the board. She all the levels got all fucked up. She ran across the park at these children barking. Normally, if I mean no one's gonna do this instinctually, but if they had stopped, if they just stopped for a second, she would have been like, "Yay!" and like yeah. jumped up to it, them. Yeah, there, it was a fight fire with fire response. It was, it was uh, uh, a very immediate uh, turn to. Uh, kicking uh, some type of kicking violence, and but he was smiling the whole time too. That's why, like, I could almost kind of hear what he's saying. I couldn't hear, but I was confused because, I, like, he's kind of laughing, but he's also like kind of saying, like, I'm gonna kick your dog. <laughs> I'm gonna kick at it. I gotta say, kicking at a dog never has calmed down a situation. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I just want to tell people, like, if a dog is running at you, like. You may want to, you might want to kick it, but the diet's not going to de-escalate things. Sure. You can yell no, and that generally will. Sure. Because dogs know that. They know that word. That's one of the words that 
kind of universally dogs know. Yeah. So like sometimes if like a dog's chasing me on my bike or something, I'm like, no, bad job. No, sit. Mm -hmm. Like, try my best. Uh-huh. I don't kick and flail. No. You know, a lot of times when Ponyo is, is part of what's going on, there's always a break in the episode where you have to stop the episode <laughs> and you have to scold Ponyo. <laughs> and it's always kind of deep in the background because you sit down your phone and you kind of walk in another room. And I remember one, oh, I, I really got to remember it sometime, but you literally had to stop. And I, you set the phone down or something, and there was like about a good two minutes where you're just like, Ponyo, no, stop doing that. You're being annoying. Like, <laughs> but it's always a little bit. So, like, if it's a few seconds, it's always good. But then it's like, if it goes on for a couple of minutes, you gotta like you gotta cut it out. So there's probably a lot of similar moments with Ponyo. <laughs> But it keeps you on your toes. Well, that's what happens when you have someone who's like six years old as a co-producer. She don't, she can't keep herself together. Right. Um, okay, I think our worst audio moment was Aubrey and Jordan. They were on Tiny House Hunters, and they famously bought a burned-down shack right. on Tiny House Hunters. And so I really wanted to get them on the show, but they were in a car on the way to the airport and talking to me via Skype, and I was in... A house in LA and it just the audio just it was a lot for people right. to get through I think right right yeah well you know you work with what you work with uh, I think the only the only real audio audio moments that you can tell is when the inside of the car when cars are going by outside the car mm-hmm. that's the only time when it's tough but you know for the most part like this little mic in here works pretty good I think you it know? does too I okay like the sound other favorite episodes of mine um, I feel like best wisdom would be from Jessica Lignato or Corin Tucker. Lignato, my favorite thing that she said recently was when she said there's, what did she say? There's the pain of healing and the pain of breaking. Mm. And it's basically like if you're in a situation that's breaking you down, that in the long term is more painful and doesn't age well than the pain of you just getting out of that, which is the pain of healing. Right. Which feels more sharp at the time, but it ages better. And then I really liked when Corin Tucker from Sleater Kinney said, you know, that there's a difference between ambition or wait, between success and accomplishment. Because I asked her about her definitions of success. And she's like, well, to me, you know, I am more into a sense of if I my goal is to feel accomplished. And to have created something that I feel proud of and having done my best work. It's not a monetary success or right. a number of record sales or any of that. Because accomplishment, because that's more sustainable and that that lasts longer. And yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked the idea of thinking of success versus accomplishment. Not to be a Seinfeld. But have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, please, please. Please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. 
If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever. But in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Melissa Kulik, Shoshana Ruth Lecter, Mary Pinson, Jessica Vos, Madeline Berger, and Christy Herod. Dear Sagittarian Matters, a new co-worker has been mispronouncing my name for about a year. Why have I let this go on? I don't know. How do I rectify the situation without embarrassing either of us? Okay, you tell me what you think. I'll tell you what I think. All right. Well, um, it depends on a lot of factors. So is this person a person of color? Is this person from a different country? Is the name like something with two consonants put together or something like that? Or has this... Is this a situation that was going on since the beginning of your guys' work relationship and you just decided not to change it? I feel like this could go a lot of different ways. Because uh, there's a certain part of me, personally, uh, if somebody has ever done that to me or mispronounced my name or, or, or called me a different name, like you know, people... Ed or just whatever name they want to come up with. Um, there is a moment that I have and it's like a crossroads you have to take. And you really, once you pass that crossroads, you can't really come back. Your name is Ed? Like, like if somebody's just like, hey, Ed. And I'm just like, I don't say anything. If I If we just keep going and I'm Ed, then, you know, even if you bring it up, even within a day or within like a few hours, you're always just going to have that moment. And I feel like there's going to be that divide even after like, you know, it's like, oh, well, that person is going to be like, oh, well, I'm, I was so dumb and I must've looked so dumb in front of that person. And even if you guys coexist continually, there's always going to be that funny moment that you guys had. Um, yeah, and how long were they working together? Like over a year? Yeah. Yeah, that's way too late. Like you're Ed at this point. <laughs> like you're Ed. You're at work, your name is Ed? Right. And even <laughs> if you bring it up, you're like, I'm Steve, actually. It's going to take that person a long time to to switch you over from Ed to Steve. You know, we have friends that have changed their names or changed certain parts of themselves. And then it always takes a while to go into the new name if you know them at all, you know? And it becomes a thing. There's that extra second of thought process that that person has when they interact with you. They're just like, oh, oh, hey, uh, Steve, you know, it's going to be like that. I think they should read aloud, make up a reason. Maybe you won a contest. Maybe have someone send you a funny email. You read it aloud to your coworker and you say your own name so it's a, you know, so you're like, hey, 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 listen to this funny thing I got. Oh, my God, I won a prize. Listen to this. Dear Chris Sutton, <laughs> we're happy to inform you that you won the blah, 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 blah. And then you just say your name in the right way. Right. When you're reading this thing about yourself or you're like, yeah. oh, my God, look, I got employee of the month. Nicole George is this employee of the month. So you're indirectly devastating somebody? 
they can deal with that on their own. That's not the, none of my business. <laughs> you know what? It's their problem for not asking. But also sometimes people will think my name is Nicole George. Mm-hmm. And uh, on tour, my tour mate, Cassie, when I went on tour in 2013, we made a bet every night whether or not the person would corner her to ask her how to say my name. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when people have to, inter- they have to introduce me in front of a room, and sometimes they'll just wing it and be mm-hmm. like, Nicole George. Yeah, but isn't that French? Isn't it French? Yeah, but so I just let them, I'm just like, that's fine. But yeah. then if I refer to myself, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to change the way I say my I'm not going to change my name (laughs) to make them comfortable. Right. What about uh, nicknames? If if somebody's like, Nikki. I know. I I do not. I squash an improv Nikki right right at the base. Cut that off right at the root. It's got to be Nicole. Yeah, that's not happening. Right. Some people have like applied for Nikki status. Most of the time their application's denied. (laughs) (laughs) Was there a certain level where people can call you Nikki or Nick? Yeah, well, like like Beth Ditto say has seen has hung out with my mother, okay. so she has heard my mom call there me Nick or Nikki, go. and so then it's like there she's doing go. an impression of my mom, right, right? But like sometimes like a date or a roommate or a coworker will try right. to just like a spontaneous. Yep, I'm like that's not my name. That's not my name. Yeah, I always wonder how people feel about that because um, I know people that will simmer for a long time. Like they'll let people just say something and just be like, "Oh, I always hated that." But I always hate when they called me that. It, it's the worst. Because, I mean, there's people, too, who... It's worse if you realize you've been calling them the wrong name. Yes. There's somebody in L.A. named yes. An- Andrea. Yes. And I remember being like, hey, Andrea, because you know people from the internet. Yeah. Happy birthday, Andrea. Right. And then you get home and you hear someone else say their name, which is even if you feel like you're going to... Even though you feel like you're going to fix it by going by Ed for the rest of your life, at a certain point, someone's going to call you Chris. Right. And to that person. And that person's like, no, you're talking about Ed? And they're like, right. that person's name is Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll be like, that's so fucking weird. Why did you let me right. call you Ed? Right. But I think that even if you let it go, even beyond the moment that it happens, like even if it's two hours, three hours on the line, it's always going to be weird. Like you have to do it right away or you just have to let it ride. Or you, know. you have to make up something. I, I just let you call me that because, like, my grandfather used to call me Ed, and it just was it's a nickname I have. And, well, <laughs> well, people like think Ponyo's, people always think Ponyo's a guy, and then they'll see that Ponyo doesn't have a wiener, and they'll be like, oh, sorry, sorry, she, she. And right. I'm like, it really doesn't matter. Right. It really, I was like, you know, Ponyo's kind of been embraced by the gender queer community, so you know, whatever you want. See, and that's age speaking. That is know. my age speaking. But like you might have thought differently before, right? I was like, wait a second. You better oh. call this dog a she or she's going to be very offended. No shaming. No shaming. Well, you know what? It's, I mean, I did, when I moved to Vermont and I would tell old people on the street her name was Ponyo, they would be like, Tanya. And I just ah. went with it. Yeah, see? I just there you was go. like, all right. They'd, they'd be like, nice to meet you, Tanya. Right. And there's a point where, like, and going back to the original uh, question, there's a point where... What kind of conversation are you going to have when you correct this person? I just... Is this going to be like, oh, okay. Or is this going to be like, oh, well, I thought your name was Tanya this whole time. Why didn't you tell me? Or sometimes I tell someone, I'll be like, you know, she goes by Tanya. You can call her Tanya. (laughs) Or something like when I go to the senior center, they'll be like, what's your dog's name? I'm like, you can call her Tanya. Right. Or she goes by Tanya. There you go. Um... But I do correct people when they think her name is Banyo, like toilet. I'm like, 
Absolutely not. Bonio. I'm just like, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Bonio's like the clown version of Bonio. Bonio. We have a series of regulars. So our mm-hmm. regulars, I would say, are Michelle T. Yep. Beth Ditto. Mm-hmm. Beth Pickens. Mm-hmm. Morgan. Yep. The food expert. Brandy Taylor. Mm-hmm. Rocco Chaotis. Sometimes Liz Prince. Liz Prince. Um, Isaac is starting to become a regular. Isaac Soloway Strozier. Uh, you also have, there's also eras. There was like um, uh, Katie Davidson like era. Was she on a couple times? Well, there was like a couple in a row. There was a J.D. Sampson era where you had kind of a couple. So we there's there's also eras as mm-hmm. well that kind of come up. Some of them are geographical. Right. You oh, know what I mean? Sure. Like, I just think that Rocco and Michelle separately are so delightful yes. and Beth Pickens that I will use any opportunity when I'm hanging out with them to just turn on the recorder and get them right. to talk to me. Right. Totally. And I've told you this before, but Isaac needs to be a star. Like he's just drips off of like I just I when you hear his voice you're like this person should be doing stuff and he's like, like he should 20, be talking all the time twenty one years old right he's got to be talking all the time like do a voiceover or something yeah you know he sounds smart I actually <laughs> when he told me how old he was I was like oh my god I thought you got like some forty year old queen to come in and just <laughs> kind of like kick some ass but no? wow okay who are your dream guests. Well, well, so, I mean, you should talk to a Michelle Obama, of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, of course, Hernandez Brothers, that's a connection that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, either one of them. I just think that would just be the ultimate. You should interview Dolly Parton. Yeah. Uh, Cardi B. We should uh, interview J-Lo for, for I sure. saw J-Lo at the Shark like Tank personal, thing. Like, personally? Like, yeah. Did you talk to her? No. Oh. She wasn't talking to anybody. She showed up. She wore sunglasses the whole time. She right. was, like, two rows in front of us at the Shark Tank event. Right. Because A-Rod was one of the sharks, and she right. showed up for that. Uh, somebody who I feel hasn't had a really good interview yet is uh, Tiffany Haddish. I, I was going to say, Cardi B and Tiffany Haddish, I feel like, are two sides of the same coin to me. Right. Where they, and Beth feels in a similar vein. I feel like they all right. have the same kind of curb appeal of being so much themselves and right. boisterous. Right. That they just can't help it and won't help it. And America loves them for it. Right. Sasha, it's part of it feels like class porn because they're like, look, they just can't iron it down. But I feel like it's a, there's an attractive defense mechanism. Yes. Is what I call it. And Beth has that. Beth has that too, yeah. It's a very attractive facet of her. That's what draws people to Beth. But it's this defense mechanism and people are very like, they're attracted to it. And it's it, it absolutely infectious. There's nothing wrong with it. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I love Beth. That's who she everyone is. feels all, with all those people. Well, maybe not Cardi B is a little bit. She sometimes her face you can read exactly what's going on. Right. But Beth and Tiffany Haddish, they both. Everyone who talks to them feels like they're their best friend. Right. Everyone who talks to them when they turn on that charm, totally kind of thing. Yeah. That everybody's like, I think that we're best friends now. <laughs> I, Paula Pell is on my dream list. Possible. Uh, Linda Berry. You know, I was in proximity oh, with Linda her. Berry. Why haven't you talked to Linda Berry? You've been around her a bunch of times, right? I know. I just didn't want to plague her. Like, she just was in a thing where there was, like, 70 students that all wanted to suck her soul. Oh. Like, everybody wanted, like was, like, a super fan right. that wanted a piece of her. And I just right. felt like she was so... I just wanted to give her her space at the end of the day each day. Right. I just felt like she was getting 
harass. Like everyone sure. wanted a little bit more than what she was offering. Right. She is a person that people want a piece of. Yeah. Sure. Um, Emil Ferris, I'd like to talk to again because our interview, she was talking in front of my students and I feel like we could have a more intimate one-on-one. Amy Sedaris. Uh, Amy Sedaris. That would be great. Carrie Brownstein. She's, she has consented to answering mm-hmm. a device question. Right. I just would like to nail her down. And uh, my dream person is Dr. Laura. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my dream person is, would be Dr. Laura. How do you be a good guest on Sagittarian Matters? Well, it's uh, the engaging part. The best episodes that you've done mm-hmm. have been uh, conversations where the love happens right away and i think this is where ponyo becomes a very integral producer in the podcast because ponyo provides a bridge in some of these conversations because because they're ponyo's cute or i'm petting ponyo or ponyo's on my lap and then you guys can talk about ponyo and then it leads to other things uh my favorite ones to listen to uh podcasts that you do are ones with like morgan uh, you and Morgan are really good because it's so fun. You guys are sitting there tasting food. Morgan is a, such a spark plug, mm-hmm. and she just like she just blasts through the speakers that energy, and I I really really like that interaction. You and Michelle T are really really good. Uh, sometimes you feel you guys probably do this when you guys press stop, but I just feel like it's going to go on for another three or four hours yeah you know just talking about whatever and just the riffing that happens um that's it just don't wander off that's like that's the main thing about sticking with the podcast people that have kind of failed or not done so well or (laughs) are people people that are trying to edit themselves Guests, I mean, it's kind of like your reality show producer right now because that's what RuPaul says too. Right. People that try to edit themselves, the the ones that have been the hardest for me to edit because I will sometimes send you edits are ones where people are second guessing themselves as they're saying the words. Right. Like they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to offend something. Uh, There's been uh, a few times, uh, quite a few times uh, in the past where I've I've been like, that is the magic. And then I'll get a text from you. They'll be like, can you cut that part out? It's a little too... Like you're outing somebody or maybe you're mentioning a name. Oh. And it's totally understandable. But it's like, oh, that's juicy and interesting. If somebody's listening to that, be like, oh, I'm getting a piece. But it's for good reason you're cutting it out oh my god yeah like there's gossip we're leaving on the cutting room floor right because right. we get a little too free sometimes right like sometimes people get a little too free and then i give people the opportunity to tell me in the next couple of days after we record right. it usually if they have any objections yeah or if they sleep on it and decide they said something they didn't want right. to say right. Right. and so sometimes people will finish and be like oh Ooh, yeah. Will you tell me if I sound like I'm victim blaming there or I shouldn't have said that person's name or whatever. Right. I mean, going back to what I was saying before, people that, you know, there's been a couple of times where people have answered a question where it's like they're going off on this tangent trying to answer the question. And in that tangent, they've answered their own question and they've actually neutralized any point of view that they might have had. And yeah. those are the worst. I find that that happens a lot with people that I just, I seem like, I feel like there's some people that are surrounded by people that second guess them. Yeah. And so then they end up taking that on and second guessing themselves. Right. 
And so in those moments, I feel very grateful for my small community of people that just let me talk right. without questioning every word I say. Right. And there's when you have a microphone in front of you, like you want to present yourself in the best ways possible and say like the right thing. But you sh- people should just be themselves. And the magical people that you've had on your show, like Lanyadu, Ditto, Morgan, Brandy Taylor, you know, friends that we have that are just so amazing or artists and people that you've met uh, throughout this process, uh, the magical parts have just been just being themselves. Even somebody like who was a little more um, reserved, like let's say, uh, oh, I can't even think of anybody right now. Like Alison Bechtel? Alison Bechtel was a little more reserved. Even that kind of personality. I mean, her work is so powerful that if you know her work and then you listen to the podcast, it, you can see the correspondence between the two. Uh, but just her being herself, even in that, even her being demure, that's really interesting. Another exciting episode was Dame Darcy. I mean, there was really no information uh, to be gleaned from the Dame Darcy interview, but just all the wild stuff. Like, she had somebody in a closet. Wasn't she, yeah, she doing like a had, haunted house or something? Yeah, she was doing a haunted house in her rented Savannah, Georgia house. At a certain point, she started screaming yeah. and banging on the walls because she had to go scare the people that were locked in a room. Yeah, that was just amazing because you're listening to this conversation and then, like, you hear a scream, you're like, hold on. And, like, it was like a sound effects record. I was like, woo! You're just like, oh my God. And, and the wild thing about it is it happened at the beginning of the podcast. She does that scream. And then you're sort of expecting like, oh, okay, she's running a haunted house. This is going to keep going. And it doesn't happen again. No. <laughs> that was just amazing. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's just special. Um, and I just have to say, like, it's been a blast doing this every week. What I get out of the podcast is I learn something all the time. That's why I listen or read or do most of the stuff that I do is to try to learn about the world. Uh, and it's been an enriching experience doing this with you. You're gr- such a great conversationalist. That's why uh, I wanted to do this project with you. And you have never let up and you've only gotten better as time goes by. So. Thanks, Chris. Totally. Um. I really appreciate that you have continued to produce the fucking podcast for 100 episodes. Oh, man. It's been a blast. (laughs) It really has. And it's like routine and love. Going full circle back to how we started the conversation today. It really is doing some... I look forward to it every week. It's like, oh, who am I going to listen to? What are these people going to say? And how I can put it together and having this project, put it up and out into the world. And even just the little bits of feedback that we get um, and just to see people that even listen to it, like in the thousands, you know, you're just like, oh, somebody's really checking this out. I just think it's just getting better all the time. Like you have a conversation style um, and I don't know, you're just coming in. I just look forward to more and more conversations. Thanks. Um, I want to say... I, you know, when choosing guests, I do, you know, there's a lot of people that are talented artists, but I also have, I also think like, would I have fun talking to them right? or not? Do they seem like they have something to say? And I do, you know, I do kind of favor queer voices, Yeah, queer feminists, 
trans people, non-binary well, we, people of color. Like I just, I find more, I just feel like, cause I also feel like the burden, not the burden of representation, but I'm just right. like, A, will this be a fun conversation? And right. B, is this somebody who I haven't heard on a bunch of podcasts who right. I would like to put on blast because I appreciate their art and I want people to know about them. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And those facets, those uh, genders, all those groups of people that you're talking about, that is the most interesting because those, they call them alternative. Nobody <laughs> says alternative anymore, yeah. but they are. And that's what makes it interesting because they're looking at the world in a different light. Like there's a mainstream idea. People just go through life as zombies and doing things that they're told what to do and watching the same things and doing the same things. There's a facet of people that have a lot to say and they're super interesting and they're just not getting that uh that shine and i love being a part of a project that does that chris thank you for being on the podcast you create thank you so much for having me this has been a dream let's do it again sometime okay i love being a regular on your show Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.